Proverbs 3. Well, if uh, you've just joined us this morning and you've not been here the last few weeks, let me tell you that we're going through a series in the early chapters of Proverbs, uh, just 1 to 9. And uh, I love the opening chapters of Proverbs. I think they're fantastic. Um, But then I do see one uh, potential tiny danger with them. I'm a, a philosopher by training, and I love all this, um, this highfalutin talk about wisdom and, and how to get it. It chimes with me. But there's a real danger that the opening chapters of Proverbs stay very intellectual with us, very much in the world of ideas. Um, if you like playing with ideas, you'll like them. If you just want to know, what am I meant to do tomorrow, then they may be a bit frustrating. You might get on better with the rest of Proverbs, which is much more pithy and to the point and down to earth. But I think the author of these chapters would be very distressed if we allowed uh, his teaching to remain at the level of intellectual ideas. Wisdom, after all, is not about intellectual ideas primarily. It's about how to live. So I'm convinced that this chapter has a lot to tell us practically about how to live tomorrow. Or, you know, this afternoon, but tomorrow just sprang to mind. But before we get there, I have to tell you, we're going to do some big ideas stuff. Um, I hope you're okay with that. Uh, it's not just because I like it, but it's because it's in the chapter. So we'll boil it down to some practical stuff towards the end. So if, if you're thinking, what has this got to do with the price of eggs? Uh, at the end, we'll see. Uh, not specifically about eggs, but just stuff. Uh, the chapter that we're looking at is, is structured basically as, as two blocks of instruction in verses 1 to 12 and verses 21 to 32. And then in between, there's a, a, a passage praising wisdom from, from verses uh, 13 to 20. Uh, it's almost a hymn to wisdom. Uh, wisdom is, is exalted in the highest possible language. And then in verses 33, and 33 through 35, we've got a brief conclusion tacked on the end. Now, There is absolutely not time for a detailed exposition of this passage, um, even if I talk really, really fast. So what I want to offer is three reflections on Proverbs 3, which I hope get to some of the key points that the author is trying to make, the things that God wants us to hear today. So three key points, and I want to start by looking at that central hymn to wisdom. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, She's more profitable than silver, yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop their dew. Now here, as in chapter 1 and in other places in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman, and a whole stream of images is poured out to show her worth. Uh, We get riches. Uh, She's better than gold, silver, rubies. I I think we can uh, take it that we could include any other source of wealth that we could name. Wisdom is better than those things. It would be worth dropping everything else in order to get wisdom. Nothing compares. She has gifts in her hands. She has long life in one hand and riches and honor in the other hand. 
Now, that's uh, not a contradiction. It's not that you um, say riches aren't worth anything compared to wisdom, but, hey, wisdom makes you rich. But it's saying wisdom offers right riches, worthwhile riches, lasting things, better than gold, silver, and rubies. Wisdom offers life and honor. Wisdom leads us in pleasant ways. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace, which I can barely restrain myself from singing, but I will. Um, uh, The point is that as wisdom guides us through life, as we follow wisdom through life, Walking, remember, is a, is a continual biblical metaphor for just living. Every day is our walk. And as we walk with wisdom, those ways are pleasant. Those paths are paths of peace. It reminds me of the 23rd Psalm and the Lord leading us beside still waters and causing us to lie down in peaceful meadows. Wisdom leads us in peaceful ways. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Now, the tree of life is a powerful biblical image. It only occurs in Genesis and in Revelation. So it bookends scripture. And then it crops up a few times in Proverbs. The tree of life at the center of the Garden of Eden. The tree that symbolized the presence of life that was really life. Life in relationship with God life as it was meant to be lived. The tree, which you'll remember in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are cut off from because of their sin. Well, Proverbs 3 says to us, wisdom is a tree of life. Get wisdom and get life as it is really meant to be. Life with God. The life that counts. And of course, that is the sort of life that is given to all of those who have trusted in Jesus at the very end of the Bible, in the resurrection of the dead. Life with God. He will be their God and they will be his people, together forever. Wisdom is a tree of life. Now all of this praise of wisdom, all of this heaping up of wonderful attributes of wisdom, surely meant to make us say, we must have this. We must have wisdom. And you'll remember that that has been the thrust of the chapters so far. Wisdom is necessary for right living. Wisdom is a beautiful thing. Wisdom is not a dry and arid, we have to do the right thing. Wisdom is a beautiful walk along pleasant paths, which lead to life forever with God. I think we need to get that. Um, So often, our Christianity uh, very easily descends into moralism, and actually it becomes about doing the right thing. Well, as far as Scripture is concerned, doing the right thing means being wise, and that is much, much more than keeping the rules. It is about walking in pleasant ways with our God. No wonder those who get wisdom are twice called blessed. Blessing, knowing God's favor, being happy, not in a shallow way, 
but deeply happy and joyful because we know our God. Those who get wisdom are blessed. If you're at all like me, um, all of this praise leaves me asking, well, what is this wisdom exactly, and where is it to be had? It's all very well saying that wisdom is great and fantastic and incomparably wonderful thing to have. Well, now tell me how I get it. Where is it? What does it consist of? Well, I think the overwhelming point of this chapter is that wisdom is thoroughly God-oriented. God, his name, comes up again and again and again in this chapter. God is the end goal of a wise life. God is the beginning of a wise life. God is the one who gives us the means to live a wise life. It is trusting in the Lord with all our hearts that will make us wise. It is giving first of all to him that will give us the blessed life. God is central. Wisdom is about God. Now, it's really important that we get that because um, wisdom is sometimes held out as a kind of sanctified common sense. As if it's basically stuff that anybody could work out if they just sat down and thought a little bit. And I think sometimes we live as if that is what the wise life is like. Wisdom is about, I sit down, work out what would be the best thing to do, uh, then pray a little bit just to make sure that God's on side, and then go and do the thing that I thought was best in the first place. I think that happens all the time. That is not the picture of wisdom that is being painted here. Wisdom is not common sense. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. See, to trust your own wisdom, to be confident in your own thinking things through, is the very opposite of being wise, as far as scripture is concerned. As soon as you find yourself thinking, oh, great, I've, I've become wise, that is the point to worry because that is the point at which you are not being wise. If wisdom is like a school, there is never a point where we get out of that school. There's never a point where we say, I've learnt wisdom now. Excellent. I can go along on my way. Wisdom is not like a deposit of knowledge that gets put into us, and then once we've got it, we've got it, and that's that. Wisdom is about day by day, saying, I do not understand, but God knows everything. My view of the world is limited and in many ways wrong, but God sees the world as it is. So actually, far from being common sense, sanctified or otherwise, wisdom is about faith. Wisdom is about saying, I will trust God and will do what he says even when it looks completely contrary to common sense. Even when my own understanding is telling me this is a daft thing to do. There's a couple of examples of it in the chapter. 
Wisdom says, I will give away the first fruits of my produce. I will give away the best and first part of my crops. I'll give them to God. Um, Can I suggest that that is a, a, a daft thing to do by common sense? Really doesn't make any sense. And the promise here is that when we do that, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will fill a brim over with new wine. Now, let me tell you, if I want to fill up my barns, um, in reality, I have no barns, uh, but suppose I had barns, were I wanting to fill up my barns, the last thing that would occur to me as a wise thing to do would be to give away a large part of my produce. That's not the way to fill up barns. Um, taking stuff out doesn't fill up barns. I'm assuming that even those of you who've never seen barns have got, got a grasp of that. But in God's economy, that is the wise thing to do. Because putting him first, even when it looks stupid to the world and sometimes even to ourselves, is what leads to blessing. He honors those who honor him. Well, there's another thing. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Now, that just sounds sensible, doesn't it? It does sound like common sense. But the number of people to whom good is due and to whom I have the power to do good is quite large. And the majority of the time I ignore them because it would be very difficult to get involved in their lives. Common sense says... Keep something back for yourself. Make sure you get enough rest. (laughs) By enough rest, I mean it's good to get rest, isn't it? But my uh, sinful interpretation of enough rest is more often a lot of rest. Don't push yourself. Don't go out of your way for other people. Of course, there'll be people who you can help easily, and common sense is quite happy for you to do that. And there'll be people to whom you have a deep obligation, like family, and common sense is generally quite happy for you to do that as well. But to do good to everyone to whom it is owed is a a big ask. It's unreasonable. Wisdom says, do it, because that is what God wants. That is what God is like. That is the way God has set up the world. Or another thing. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. When times are hard... When stuff is difficult, common sense just does not say, bear patiently with this and praise the one who is in control of it. It does not say that. It certainly does not say, look at yourself and see what character lessons you are meant to be learning here. It doesn't say that. Common sense says, get out of it if you can, grumble about it if you can't. That's what my common sense says anyway. Wisdom says that is not the way that God has called you to act. If it is the Lord's discipline, look to him for the lesson that he is teaching. Wisdom is not common sense. It is about God, and it comes from God. But still, wisdom is about the way the world is set up. Do you see that at the end of that little hymn to wisdom? In verse 19... By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop their dew. 
Wisdom here is, is portrayed as the agent of creation. God made everything through his wisdom. Now you get it's a fly buzzing around my head. That's irritating. You'll get a lot more of that in, in chapter 8. Uh, but right here, we just need to notice, when we say wisdom is not common sense, we're not saying wisdom is somehow removed from reality. Because reality is shaped by God's wisdom. He made it. He made it through his wisdom. So actually, reality is living in a, uh, wisdom rather is living in accordance with deepest reality. Wisdom is looking beyond appearance to say, what is really going on here? What does God say is really going on here? And living in accordance with that, and not with what my eyes see or with what my reason tells me. See, it may seem. And it often does seem that those who live for themselves prosper and, frankly, do quite well out of the arrangement. The guy who doesn't give his first fruits to the Lord, he often has full barns as well. The guy who doesn't even try to do good to anyone often seems to end up living quite comfortably. Proverbs presents things in really stark black and white terms. I don't know if you've noticed that already. It is always, do the right thing and be blessed, do the wrong thing and be cursed. That is the way it is throughout Proverbs. It's the way it was at the end of this chapter. The Lord curses the house of the wicked, blesses the righteous. Now, we know that in our experience, it often doesn't work out like that. We know that in our experience, people who do the wrong thing often profit from it. And people who do the right thing often suffer for it. That is why we need God's wisdom to peel back the appearances of what we see and to say, but what is the deepest structure of reality? It is that God blesses those who live wisely and curses those who reject him. That really is what is going on. And therefore, when it doesn't look like it, we need to trust in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding. When it doesn't seem that doing the right thing benefits us at all, we must trust in the Lord who says, this is the blessed way to live. When it seems, as it often will do, that the paths in which wisdom leads us are neither pleasant nor peaceful, I don't know if you've um, found in your life that uh, every day when you've uh, walked with God, it's been pleasant and peaceful. Um, my experience, and I, it's a limited experience compared to some of you, has been that that is not the case. That very often the paths wisdom leads me on seem to be rocky and difficult. And that is when we say, let's trust in the Lord and not our own understanding of this situation. He promises that this is the good road to be on. Therefore, let's keep walking it. Don't envy the violent or choose any of their ways, says verse 31. Don't envy them. Now, of course, there'd be no temptation to envy them if it weren't for the fact that they sometimes did rather well out of their violence and out of their ways. The proverb says, don't envy them. They're not living wisely. Ultimately, the Lord detests them. And because he has founded reality in accordance with his own wisdom... That will show up in the end. 
It will come to light. It's a spiritual discipline to look away from apparent reality and towards God's reality. It's something that we have to make ourselves do day by day by day. And it's difficult. It's difficult because, to you know, spell it out really clearly, what we see is what we see. That wasn't very clear, was it? Apparent reality is what we have access to. All around us, that seems to be the way the world is set up. And yet we must daily say, I will look to God to tell me what the world is really about. I will look to God to tell me what is really wise. So where should we be looking? Where should we be looking to see what wisdom is like? Where should we be looking to find out what real reality is all about? Well, I want to take us um, somewhat beyond Proverbs 3 to say wisdom is Christ-centered. Wisdom is about the Lord Jesus Christ. In New Testament terms, wisdom is living in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. Wisdom is taking seriously the idea that this is the world that Jesus made, that Jesus governs, that Jesus died and rose for, that Jesus is coming back to redeem, and then living as if it were that world. I don't know how often uh, you find yourself Every now and again, I, I sort of, it's as if you come to your senses and realize, I have been living for the last few hours, slash days, weeks, months, as if this was not the world that belonged to Jesus Christ. As if this were not the world in which he died and rose. As if it were some other world where he was an alien and didn't belong here. It's not the case. This is his world. Let me run you through some um, exciting bits of New Testament. Most of the New Testament is quite exciting, but uh, let me run you through some, some bits that are particularly pertinent. You'll be familiar with John chapter 1, perhaps from Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it was through the Word that everything was made, that everything was structured. It existed through him, and it existed for him. And that Word took on flesh, that word was Jesus Christ. Well, the word that's translated word there, logos, could equally well be translated wisdom. It was used to translate the word wisdom in the Greek Old Testament. Jesus is God's wisdom through whom the world was created. He is God's wisdom for whom everything exists. The deepest reality is him. Or consider the fact that Paul repeatedly says that Christ is our wisdom. Colossians chapter 2, verses t- verse 3, he, says, he talks about Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to know what deepest reality is about. You want to know what it means to live wisely. All the treasures of wisdom are hidden in Jesus Christ. Look to him. Or, and this is perhaps where it comes across most powerfully, 
In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church for their reliance on worldly wisdom. And he tells them, Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. Not the strength and cleverness that you see around you, but Christ crucified. That is where wisdom is. Christ Jesus, he says, has become for us wisdom from God. See, behind everything else, at the very deepest level of reality, if I can talk that way, I don't really think that reality is like an onion where you can just sort of peel layers off until you get to the middle of it. But if it were, at the very center of onion reality would be the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. That is what reality is about. That is what lies at the heart of it. It is, in in, in C.S. Lewis's terms, it is the deeper magic. It is the thing that lies right back there. And that is what we can see. When we want to see wisdom, when I want to know, what does wise living look like today? The answer is not, I will go and sit down in a quiet room and try to receive radio messages from God. I will not deny that God will sometimes speak to people that way. But the key way to find wisdom is to look at Jesus Christ and to say, if he is the most fundamental thing about reality, what is reality like and how should I live in accordance with it? Can I suggest a couple of things? If wisdom is Christ-centered, if wise living is living in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will mean, amongst other things, suffering patiently, Because Christ suffered patiently in hope of his resurrection. It will mean being being prepared to be scorned because we publicly identify with Christ. Because Christ was scorned. It will mean foregoing pleasure that we could have in the here and now because we are living for the resurrection as Christ saw the joy that was set before him and therefore endured the cross. On Monday, for me, is going to mean going into my office determined to publicly identify with the Lord Jesus. doesn't mean necessarily writing up a big sign I am a Christian and sticking it on my office door. And the person I share an office with would be upset quite a lot if I did that. And she's my boss. Uh, But it does mean living for him in such a way that it is obvious and being prepared to tell people why. Looking for opportunity. It also means um, that I need to get off Facebook and work hard. Putting aside momentary pleasure, that is what the fundamental shape of reality is. Hard now, joy later. And it will mean that I will live on Monday with hope. One of the things um, that blights my life is um, pessimism and the idea that things will probably fail. You're probably not listening anymore, so it probably doesn't matter. (laughs) 
fundamental shape of reality is Christ's death and resurrection. And therefore, pessimism has no place in my life on Monday. Now, that's going to change the way I approach a lot of things. When I put in grant applications, this is what I do for a living, um, I should not assume that they will fail. Um, although they're often very poorly written. So. <laughs> Humor aside, I hope you can see what I'm saying. When you peel back all of the stuff around you, the fundamental reality is that Jesus died and rose, and that that is the central thing about the universe. That is the most important thing that you could say about reality. And therefore, wisdom is living in response to that. Let me throw out one more example. If it is true that the central reality of the universe is that Christ died and rose, it is also true that the central thing that I could say about any other person with whom I come into contact on Monday is that this is a person for whom Christ died and rose. And that has to change the way that I live towards them. It has to. I can't gossip or talk behind the back of somebody for whom Christ died and rose. They're valuable. I can't ignore their needs. And I can't hesitate to speak the gospel to them because maybe they don't currently know that Christ died and rose for them and they need to know it. If you um, were to read uh, in the early church fathers, which is something I would recommend if you've got a lot of time, the tree of life is very, very regularly connected with the cross of Christ. Christ was hanged on a tree so that we could have life. That is why wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Because wisdom is not just making common sense decisions about what I ought to do or ought not to do. It's not even living morally. Wisdom is about living in the universe where Jesus died and rose, trusting in him, acknowledging my own shortcomings, putting him first. Should we do that tomorrow? Let's pray that we will.